Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Guardian. Tech companies around the world are prepping for new data legislation that will be enforced in Europe, and many are not ready. A report released Wednesday finds that about 60% of businesses are likely to miss the General Data Protection Regulation compliance deadline. And only about 7% of the companies are in full compliance as of today. Now, the regulation, it's also known as GDPR, will go into effect on May 25th. On May 25th, 2018, the General Data Protection Regulation came into force. These tougher rules on data protection were approved by the EU Parliament in April 2016, but a lot of us didn't hear about them back then. Perhaps you first heard GDPR mentioned in discussions about recent controversies to do with questionable use of people's data. Or maybe it was when you started getting all those bloody emails. You know the ones. A company you haven't heard from in a while drops into your inbox with a sorry to bother you, but we'd love to keep on emailing you after May 25th, so if you wouldn't mind, could you please read this privacy policy and tick this box? And as soon as you've dealt with that email, here comes another. And another. I don't know about you, but I've started to ignore them. This kind of response to the last-minute barrage of emails has been dubbed GDPR fatigue. But why have so many companies left it so late to try to comply with this new regulation? And should we stop being so blasé about it too? Basically, what actually is GDPR? Why should we care? So suddenly, breaching privacy law, breaching data processing law has gone from a, a bad PR move and a moderate fine from the ICO to the sort of thing that can close down your business. And could this new regulation even impact our health? The vast majority of us will need to visit a doctor at least once in our lifetime. Will GDPR affect how GPs look after us and our medical data? A lot of what they do is, is, is already what the GDPR expects. But there have been some changes that they've had to make in order to comply and, and, and be up to date with the GDPR. I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and this is Chips With Everything. The one that's like, do you know a good GDPR consultant? And the other person says yes. And then you're like, can I get you at the email address? And you go, no. <laughs> <laughs> to get a simple but clear explanation of what exactly GDPR is, I called on my colleague, Alex Hearn. I mean, the, the most important part of the Idiot's Guide to GDPR, really, 
is nothing to do with what it says you have to do and everything to do with what it says will happen if you don't. GDPR introduces a 20 million euro fine or 4% of your annual turnover, whichever is higher if you breach it. So suddenly breaching privacy law, breaching data processing law has gone from a, a bad PR move and a moderate fine from the ICO to the sort of thing that can close down your business. And it's that panic that has led to everyone's inboxes overflowing. Because if you are if you are a company and you look at a database of mailing lists and all it has is a database of mailing lists, if you just have a spreadsheet with 5,000 email addresses in it and nothing else, you have to be pretty bloody confident that you actually got every single one of those emails with the right sort of compliance. And if you're not confident, the easiest thing to do and the option a lot of companies have picked is just try try and get that compliance off to send emails out to all these people going, hi, uh, we're not 100% certain that we complied with the regulations when we signed you up in the past. So can you can you just do it again? So what's led to this then? How, can you give like a quick summary of how we've got to this point? I mean, the short version is uh, seven years of squabbling uh, inside the EU about how to update the previous data protection uh, directive. The history has been actually kind of hidden underground. It's been clear for about the last three years that when this was going to come, it was going to be big. It's been clear for the last two years that the, the text was set. We've known what was happening. And yet it's taken until, I'd say, three months before, really, for, for companies to actually go, ooh, ooh, wait, this is this is big and we need to act on it. I think a lot of places thought maybe that there would be, A, safety in numbers, if you leave it till the very last minute to actually make your changes, and B, the ability to copy what other people were doing. Uh. Uh, in practice, not enough people acted soon enough for the copying option to help. And even the ICO dropped the ball a bit. The Information Commissioner's Office probably could have given much better guidance. It's really telling that, for instance, on May 9th, they released a, a myth buster, which was advice to all of the companies that have been sending out all these emails going, you, you don't need to send out all of these emails. Please stop sending out all of these emails. You're panicking. This isn't what the law tells you you have to do. But they did that on May the 9th. Right. And they only issued that explicit advice after enough emails had gone out that people complained. So why don't people have to send the emails then? If you have consent under pre-GDPR laws to email someone, that consent probably applies in post-GDPR laws. If you don't have consent to email someone in pre-GDPR laws, you shouldn't email them now. (laughs) Like it's really it's kind of obvious, commonsensical when you think about it. So it kind of. It sounds like you're saying companies just are not ready for this at all. Is that true? Yeah, I think this is it. Uh, It's also, it applies to everyone. And not everyone has access to legal advice or or a lawyer. And so you're really having to piece together from from public advice and from copying the loudest, most obvious GDPR compliance that you're seeing elsewhere, which is, surprise, surprise, massive amounts of opt-in emails sent Mm. to all your mailing lists. So this is the thing. It's, it's, It's a meme. Like, the people who are quietly complying... In private, no one sees. The people who are doing the noisiest, most active compliance efforts are the ones who everyone sees and copies. And so you get this this effect where the worst practitioners set the bar. Okay. And um, what industries seem to be the most affected by GDPR, perhaps maybe even in what they perceive as a negative way? So there's there's a few. Like the most obvious one are ad, ad tech and ad targeting. And to a certain extent, although they are uh, specifically applied in the regulations, uh, sort of monitoring and credit rating agencies. The, these are companies which build up profiles about people who don't really want to have profiles built up around them. Uh, ad, ad tech and ad targeting 
is about profiling you to sell you things by people who have no direct relationship with you. These activities are going to get harder to do in, in the world that GDPR has. Hmm. Do you think that the future in like 10 or 20 years is going to look vastly different than it would have done if we didn't have GDPR? The big risk is this becomes like the EU cookie directive, right, uh, which came into force a few years ago and ended up being one massive box ticking exercise. Put up a notification and carry on with your life as you always had done. Uh, in this case, even that isn't quite going to be enough. One of the big things that uh, we'll see in practice with this is just literal box ticking. In other words, where previously filling in your email address, you'd have to uncheck the box saying I consent to marketing communications. Now you'll have to check the box. I mean, that will change quite a lot. We don't yet know sort of how consumer behavior will evolve on this, but there is every chance that, you know, companies will see uh, the rates of customers that they can directly contact going from, I think it's around 80% down to sort of, you know, 15, 20% of people actually opting in for marketing communications. The interesting thing is the systematic effect of that will likely be to aid large market uh, dominating companies like Google and Facebook. Because if you're a small company who suddenly finds that you can only email 20% of your customers rather than 80 and you want to market to them, you have to market to them in other ways. And one of those other ways will be handing over money to Facebook or Google to buy ads to contact your customers. So you said the GDPR is a regulation in EU law, right? But despite Brexit, despite the fact that we are planning to leave the EU, the UK is still going to enforce it. Is that right? Yeah. So we are currently in the EU. So from May 25th, we have no choice. Uh, Brexit hasn't happened yet, although it's been going on forever. Uh, so yeah, for at least the next year, we have straightforwardly no choice. GDPR applies in the UK. After Brexit, we would theoretically have the option of opting out of it. You know, from March 2019, GDPR will no longer directly apply in the UK. But the Data Protection Bill, which is going through Parliament now, and will probably come into effect before March 2019, although it might not, and then it would be hilarious, that will make GDPR in effect UK law. But even if we didn't, GDPR would still have huge ramifications in the UK because one of the biggest elements of it is its uh, extraterritoriality, which means that GDPR doesn't just cover European companies providing services to European citizens. It covers European companies providing services to anyone in the world, and it covers anyone in the world providing services to European citizens. Mm. So I mean, people outside of Europe are doing it as well then, like people in the States? Absolutely, yeah. So if you actually sit down and build your system to exclude European citizens and you are based outside of Europe, you don't have to apply GDPR. Most places have decided that's not really worth it. We've seen two big groups of people who've gone otherwise. One is companies which, frankly, operate based on really shoddy consent mechanisms to do data processing without their customers really knowing it. The other big group is companies that have just gone we can't be asked. And one of them is uh, online games. A, a surprising number of online games have gone, actually, you know what? We make such little money from EU citizens. Running EU servers is a massive cost center. Our EU citizens are already completely separate from typically our Asian citizens who are the largest uh, players of these games and our North American uh, users who are the second largest group. Let's just turn off the EU servers. It's just not worth the hassle. And so they've done it as well. But if you want to work with EU citizens, which you probably do if you're online because you want to work with the whole world because that's the advantage of the internet, yeah, you, you have to do it. And that's what Facebook's done. That's what Apple's done. That's what Google's done. 
The reason I'm asking about the UK is that earlier this week, the UK Prime Minister, Theresa May, announced that she was pledging millions of pounds to develop artificial intelligence aimed at lowering the numbers of deaths from cancer. The plan, though, would allow commercial companies to access NHS data and information on patients' lifestyle information. So is it possible that this would run into difficulties with GDPR? It is not only possible, it is probable. GDPR has a whole separate section, section 9, which specifically lays out sensitive personal data, including quite obviously medical data, and has a whole set of extra requirements you need to do on that. You really need to secure opt-in for every individual use. There is no, crucially, there is no legitimate interest exemption. There is only a serious public interest exemption. It's hard to see how actually, how this could be done in anything other than a very narrow, very controlled way. But also, it's a bit of a pipe dream. Like, I think Theresa May probably won't have to worry about GDPR conflicts anytime soon because I really doubt that any sizable AI initiative will be getting access to conventional NHS data in the next couple of years. So it's likely that most of the annoying GDPR emails you've received lately are actually unnecessary. And unfortunately for Theresa May, her grand plans to use artificial intelligence to prevent cancer deaths will probably fall afoul of this new regulation. After the break, we'll look further at how GDPR could affect healthcare. How can patient data be used? And how have GPs been preparing for the May deadline? Certainly GPs and and other hospital doctors have been contacting us over the past year, maybe a little bit more, just to try to find out um, a little bit more about GDPR and, and how they can prepare for it. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. By 2050, the UK will have a net zero carbon economy. That, at least, is what the government claims. How it will achieve this is up for debate, but many think nuclear energy has a major role to play. Does it matter that the technology is so unpopular? Per unit of energy produced, nuclear power is safer than coal, gas and even wind energy. So why are we so radiophobic? People have very rational fears. Um, now, they're not always justified when you, you know, get the Geiger counters out and measure things, but they are rational fears. And the trouble with the word is it gets used by the nuclear industry 
to excuse themselves. So actually, it is one of the safest energy technologies that we have. Join me, Ian Sample, on Science Weekly as we unpick the rationale behind our fears. Just search for Science Weekly in your podcasting app or head over to theguardian.com forward slash podcasts. Welcome back to Chips With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Before the break, The Guardian's Alex Hearn kindly tried to explain the General Data Protection Regulation and ended up adding to my GDPR fatigue by telling me that most of the companies who've been sending me emails probably never needed to do so in the first place. But perhaps more importantly, he also guessed that future plans to use artificial intelligence and big data to attempt to prevent deaths from cancer will probably face sizable barriers as a result of this new regulation. Hello, is that Dr. Birch? Oh, hello, it's Rachel Birch. Yes, is that Jordan? Hi, it is. Hi, how are you? Not bad, thank you. How are you? Dr. Rachel Birch is a medico-legal advisor at the Medical Protection Society. She's been advising GPs on how to prepare for GDPR. Earlier on, Alex told us that some companies were panicking about the regulation. But I specifically wanted to know how the healthcare industry is coping. Are GPs ready for these new rules? Certainly GPs and and other hospital doctors have been contacting us over the past year, maybe a little bit more, just to try to find out um, a little bit more about GDPR and and how they can prepare for it. So, I mean, in terms of GP practices, and I would imagine the same for hospitals too, um, they're already compliant with existing data protection law, the Data Protection Act 1998. And so, um, because they're already compliant with that, a lot of what they do is, is, is already what the GDPR expects. But there have been some changes that they've had to make in order to comply and, and, and be up to date with the GDPR. Sure. Can you give me a rundown? So um, one of the main changes is the principle of accountability. Now, this is something that was always you know, quite implicit in data protection law, but this is now mandatory. And essentially what accountability means is that as well as actually being compliant with all the obligations that the GDPR sets, practices, doctors, hospitals now have to demonstrate that they're actually compliant with the GDPR. So what that means is they're going to need to keep accurate records of all their data processing activities, so exactly what data they process, why, what the purpose is, and they've also got to be able to identify the specific lawful reason to to process this information. The other thing that uh, they need to do is make sure that their data protection policies are all up to date and will reflect the requirements of the GDPR. Um, Another thing is that they will have to appoint a data protection officer. This is somebody who will provide them with advice and monitor the data protection practices to make sure that, you know, they're doing it right. As you've kind of been covering this, have you got the sense that uh, doctors have been quite calm in the run-up to the enforcement on May 25th, or do you think there's apprehension? I think there's a little bit of both. I think some doctors are quite calm, and there's some that, you know, really are, you know, more worried about it. And The reason for that is I think that doctors always want to do the right thing and they are so professional in their, you know, ethics and and their ability to make sure they're on the right side of the law and they're doing everything right. So any change in legislation we tend to find can cause doctors an element of anxiety. Sure. How about have any raised any possible issues, though, with the new regulation? 
Well, there are going to be some challenges regarding the day-to-day working, um, and I think that has been something that a, a lot of doctors have raised with us, uh, mainly GPs. And I think the biggest change to their day-to-day work is going to be regarding subject access requests. So this is where a patient or a third party, such as a, a solicitor or, or an insurance company, you know, with the patient's consent, if they make a request for copies of medical records. Now, this is something that's not new. I mean, practices and hospitals are very familiar with patients making subject access requests. But the time frame has been reduced for these requests to be actioned, so it's gone down from 40 days to one calendar month. And another change is that practices and hospitals and um, you know, doctors who, who, who have their own private notes, they will be unable to charge for such requests. So this is quite an important issue in terms of resourcing because if there's a lot of requests coming in for copies of medical records, because obviously that's every patient's right to make a request for access to their records. What about when it comes to patients? What are the main changes that patients will notice? One of the first things they'll notice, I think, is that when they go into their practice or into the hospital, they may see a privacy notice up on the wall. And these privacy notices, if there's patients who don't speak English as a first language, they may find these are translated into their own languages. And there's lots that that they have to to say. Um, The practices or, or hospitals have to say who the data controller is, who the data protection officer is, and then go on to why they're processing the data, you know, their information, what the lawful basis for this is, what personal data they're actually processing, how long they're going to retain it, and they also have to make a list of the subject's rights, so the patient's rights. So the four, I don't think you'd necessarily see on on, on the wall a list of your rights as a patient or as a a data subject, but that's going to be a change that they will will notice. What about... um kind of wider general practice in the UK, so outside of specific um, practices, how could GDPR affect just like the the kind of medical community generally, either positively or negatively? So for instance, you talked about the data protection officer, so could it create new jobs or could it maybe increase costs and the time that doctors have to spend dealing with things that have nothing really to do with patient care? It may well create jobs um, for data protection officers, although data protection officers are are going to be people who've got um, expertise in data protection and have a lot of familiarity with how the organisation already processes that data. So in many cases, it might be an existing employee um, or somebody that's worked in a similar situation that would would become the data protection officer. And I think um, it will be reassuring to doctors ultimately to know that they're minimising their risk of, of, of a breach of data and hopefully give them the satisfaction that they're doing data protection well. And I think it will be helpful for doctors to know that the patients will be happier too because they'll really understand how their data is being processed and, and they will feel confident to exercise their rights. And hopefully that will reassure them that actually, you know, doctors are taking their confidentiality seriously. They do have rights to their own data. You know, they can see what's being written about them. They can, you know, make sure that it's accurate. All these are kind of very important principles of the GDPR and I think it's really you know, really good for patients to be able to, to have those rights. For our interesting tech back this week, we're moving away from EU regulation and heading to America, where reports have emerged that Amazon has been selling a facial recognition system to the police. The AI-powered service called Recognition, with a K, can, according to Amazon itself, capture demographics and analyse sentiments for all faces in group photos, crowded events and public places such as airports and department stores. 
citing concerns that this kind of surveillance poses a great threat to customers and communities already unjustly targeted in the current political climate, the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, and other civil rights organizations have started a petition asking Amazon to, as they put it, stop padding your bottom line by selling out civil rights. I'd like to thank Alex Hearn and Dr. Rachel Birch for joining me on the show this week. There'll be a link to GDPR guidelines on this week's episode description on the Guardian website. And remember, if you have any fun tech facts, questions or feedback on the show, and if you have any ideas for cool digital stories that we should cover in future episodes, email us at chipspodcast at theguardian.com. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.